The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I'd like to talk with you today about the times when it feels like God has abandoned you. The times in your life when you really try to walk by faith and trust the unseen and you're patient and you hang in there, but after a while, it just starts to feel like, did God maybe give up on me? Did God maybe go somewhere else? Because I'm hanging in there, and I just don't see him working at all. I want to talk with you about the times when you know what God promised, and you, you have, you've clung to those promises, but you, you start to kind of doubt that. Uh, maybe for you, it's financially. Maybe when the the Great Recession hit a few years ago, you're starting to see other people rebuild and other industries come back. But for you, things just are not coming back together. Maybe uh, it's a situation where you've been wronged by another person, maybe by uh, someone who claims to be a really mature Christian. And they've been unfaithful to you. And, and you start to associate their unfaithfulness with, well, maybe if they're such a mature Christian and they're unfaithful, then maybe, maybe God's not so faithful. Did you know that some of our greatest heroes in history and in the word of God struggled through these kind of seasons, struggled through these kind of emotions? Uh, We're told this about King David, who scripture tells us was a man after God's own heart. Uh, King David, who wrote the Psalms that I am so, so thankful for, because I, I often meet God in those Psalms. They, they meet me right where I am when I'm, when I'm distressed, when I'm tired, when I'm fatigued, when I'm discouraged. David, who was this mighty man of God, had a moment when he really doubted God's promises. You might remember David, he was a youngest, he was kind of scrawny, and the prophet in the land came and anointed him to be king over Israel. And this seemed impossible. But then shortly after, David goes and faces Goliath. And you know that story. God does this miracle. And this little shepherd boy with this sling takes down this gigantic, blood-stained, grizzled, ultimate fighting warrior of the day, right? And, And Goliath collapses with a thud to the ground. David has seen God's promises. He's seen God's power. And yet in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, there's this really interesting verse. Because David has been following God's plan for his life, but the existing king, Saul, who, whose heart had turned away from God, Saul is chasing David and he's trying to kill him. And for a long time, David kept trusting in the Lord. But after a while, he had been opposed for so long and he was so fatigued and he was afraid for his life. And he was so attacked that in, in 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, David says this, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. I need to run away to the land of the Philistines. In other words, David knows God has called him to the land of the Israelites. But he's so opposed, he's so tired, he's so afraid, he's so attacked that he said in this moment he doubts if God is really there on his side. Doesn't that happen to us when we've been opposed and opposed and we get fatigued, we get tired, we get discouraged, maybe we get afraid, we get attacked and, and we start to wonder. 
did God really say? Is God really there? Has God given up on me? Today in in Nehemiah 4, we're going to focus on the unseen hand of God at work in our lives. And this reality that very often we don't see God's hand at work. Uh, Every Sunday when we gather here and, and we're studying God's word, you guys see this maroon curtain behind me? Did you know there's stuff going on back there? In fact, some Sundays like today, Phoenix Symphony comes in this afternoon. I will hear things moving around back there. And you guys don't even know, and I just have to try and keep my focus up here. Life's kind of like that. That There's this curtain uh, between us and the spiritual realm. And and sometimes we wonder, is God still there? Is God still moving? Is he still working? I thought of an illustration of this last night as I was going to bed. We have this little routine in our house. We have a lot of routines in our house because we have little children. But here's one of them. Zoe's bedroom is on the corner, and our house is, is pretty old. And the, for the most part, the heater heats the whole house up. But her one room, for whatever reason, is like this cooler room. So we have this, uh, this heater that has its own little thermostat, and it's electric. It's really great. We got it at Costco. If you want to go get one, I recommend it, okay? It, it's awesome. It even has a remote control. Uh, but, but it has this little blue screen, and the blue screen kind of lights up the room. Well, that, Zoe will not fall asleep with that on. She, she'll just fuss and fuss. So we turn the heater off, put her to bed. And then later, I, you know, I'm usually the last one to lock up everything. I'll sneak into her room. And she's one of the, you know, Jack, could, Jack will sleep through anything. But Zoe's the opposite. So, you know, you turn the doorknob as quietly as possible. And I have the remote in my pocket. I sneak in, I close it quietly, I click it. And usually after I click it, she'll kind of... And I wait and hope and pray that she'll, you know, just fall back asleep. And then usually she does, and I sneak out. And I was thinking, you know, Zoe has no idea that every night while she's sleeping, I'm concerned for her health and I want her to be warm enough And so I sneak in there in the dark. And she doesn't even know I do this. And I turn her heater on and I do it every night, at least if it's cold out. Do you know that God is at work in the same way in your life? You don't see him. You don't hear him. But he's there. Uh, Even when you're sleeping, there's a verse in Psalms that says, um, I, I go to, I, I lie down in peace And I wake up because the Lord sustained me. Can you believe that? He was sneaking around in your room last night, taking care of you, providing for you. Uh, But but so many times we don't see it and we start to doubt it. And here's our big idea in the text today. God will never abandon you. Some of you just need to know that today. God will never abandon you. He will never abandon you. So stick to his plan. Even if you've fallen down, even if you've forgotten his plan, just, just stick to, to his plan. He will fight for you. you. You might not see him standing there with a glowing sword and shield and spear, but he will fight for you. In fact, we're going to see he is fighting for you. In Nehemiah chapter 4, 
we're going to see God's people get opposed and get discouraged and get afraid and get attacked. And towards the end of, of the chapter, Nehemiah is going to tell them this in verse 20, our God will fight for us. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. Your God will fight for you. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are adopted into the family of God. You're his son or his daughter, and he will fight for you. Even when you don't see him, especially when you're opposed, when you're attacked, when you're afraid, he might not change all the circumstances, but he will fight for you. He will deliver you. He will preserve you. He will sustain you. Well, we've been studying Nehemiah, if you haven't been with us. It's been a pretty fun series about rebuilding. And in the book of Nehemiah, God's people, they've got this city, Jerusalem, the city of God, and, and its walls are torn down. And essentially, the book is this story of them rebuilding these walls. And last week, uh, last week, if you missed it, by the way, I think you should check it out because it was a really important message. It really is practical in all of our lives about reprioritizing. These people, they couldn't have rebuilt God's walls without reprioritizing. Everyone had to give up something to put God's work before their own. Some gave up their fields. Some gave up their trade. For 52 days, these people worked together. They put the kingdom of God above their own kingdom. And then in the end, their own kingdom ended up being a lot more prosperous and a lot more secure because they sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things were added to them. Matthew 6, 33, the same is true for us. And last week, we really got into the specifics. Where do we need to reprioritize in our lives? You may know, okay, I need God's help to rebuild in my marriage. I need God's help to rebuild my legacy. I'm nearing the end of life. And, and, and I think about what people are going to say at my memorial service. I, I need God to help me rebuild my legacy. I need God's help to rebuild my finances. Maybe you know you need to rebuild your relationship with God or with a child or with a friend. As you start to rebuild, you're going to face opposition. And that's what happens here in chapter 4. The people of God set out to start rebuilding. And I know it's happening to some of you. In this series, you've decided, okay, we're going to rebuild our marriage. We're going to do it God's way. Or I'm going to rebuild my finances. I'm going to, I'm going to handle these resources God's way. And you've stepped out. You've started to follow God. And I guarantee if you're really doing that, you're going to meet up with some opposition. And that's what we see here in chapter four. So let's read together. And um, we're actually going to read the whole chapter today, but don't let that scare you because it's a really great story. Okay. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. Sanballat comes up. You might remember Sanballat and Tobiah. Um, so God's people are pretty much in disarray in Jerusalem, right? They're all kind of just piecemeal, trying to, you know, make enough money to eat. They're not working together. They're not anything to be afraid of. Well, Nehemiah shows up, and because Nehemiah is obeying God as a leader, the people of God are starting to get together. They're starting to work together. Sanballat and Tobiah see this, and it threatens them. It threatens them economically. It also threatens them because they have the strongest army in the area. And they realize, wow, if all these Jewish people get together and, and, and start arming themselves, we're no longer going to be the superpower in our area. So here comes this opposition, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. 
upset. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Syria. Okay, so this isn't just an onlooker who's mocking your rebuilding efforts. This is an onlooker who owns an army. Okay, and here's what he says. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish this thing in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And that is the voice of Satan, by the way. When you start to rebuild in your life, he's going to come and say, oh, you think you can rebuild that marriage from that heap of rubble? You can't do that. Oh, oh, you think with that health problem that God can still work in your life? Who do you think you are? This is, this is the voice of Satan. He opposes the people of God when we get serious about rebuilding the work of God in our lives. Verse three, he's got a buddy, Tobiah the Ammonite, who is at his side, and he says, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. In other words, this wall is supposed to be a defense for the whole city, right? This guy says, hey, you know, a, a little fox size of a squirrel could jump up on that thing and it could fall over. This isn't going to protect these people. So how do God's people respond? Verse four, hear us, O God, for we are despised. They turn to God. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. In other words, you know, what's neat about this prayer to God is it, it notes the opposition. It takes the opposition to God, but it, it doesn't take it personally. It realizes this opposition is because we are building God's work. That's why there's opposition. And you know what? When you're busy planning your next vacation or saving up for the next toy that you want to get or watching your football game, you're not going to encounter a bunch of opposition from Satan. He doesn't really care when we do those things. Doesn't threaten him. But when you get serious about reprioritizing your life, when you get serious about putting the kingdom of God and his work first in your family and in your finances and in your community, when you get serious about rebuilding God's work, you're going to see opposition like this. Verse 6, they, they've prayed 4 and 5, and then verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall. God answered their prayer. Till it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. And that might be you today. You're like, I have worked with all my heart, and I'm only halfway there. And that's especially when the enemy comes and he says, if I can stop them before they get this thing finished. So that's what happens. Verse 7, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They became very angry. They all plotted together. So here comes this, uh, the, this treaty of these other nations working together to oppose God's people. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So again, what do God's people do? We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Verse 9 is a really neat summary of a phrase that my, my grandpa used to say all the time. We'll put it up on the screen here. It says, work like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends 
on God. That's what we see here in verse 9. The opposition flares up again, and God's people, they pray, but then they also take up some weapons and pick their tools back up. A lot of us do one or the other. You know, a difficulty comes, an opposition comes, so we either work harder, or there's some great Christians who pray really hard, but then don't do anything at all. And in chapter 4, we see this really neat balance. It's God who's behind the scenes. He's doing the work. But the people are praying with such faith that it's, okay, God, only you can protect us. Only you can do this. But we're so confident that you're gonna, that we're gonna pick up our weapons and our tools because, God, we, we're gonna work like it all depends on us, but we're gonna pray knowing it really all depends on you. Let's keep reading in our text. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people of Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving up. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Okay, this is fatigue. This is weariness. This is, you put your hand to the job and and you're going hard and then you realize, wow, this is a bigger job than I thought. Verse 11, also, on top of the fact that the work is too much for us, our enemies said, before they know it or see it, we will be right there among them and will kill them put an end to their work. Verse 12, then the Jews who lived near us came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. It's a really key verse, verse 12. Because at the beginning, we saw opposition from without, from the enemies. In verse 12, what we see is opposition from within. These are people of God in verse 12. These are teammates And in their own weakness and fear, they're coming and they're discouraging and they're opposing and they're saying, wherever you turn, they're going to kill us. Ten times over, they say this. This also happens when you get serious about rebuilding for God. Sometimes there's obvious opposition from without. Sometimes there are other believers and people who are on your own team who say it's too much. You can't, you can't do it. You can't really follow God. You got to, you got to, you know, have some common sense here. Sometimes that opposition comes from within we see in verse 12. So again, here's how they respond. 13, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, and this is, I wanted to play you guys a clip from Braveheart, but I couldn't find one that was appropriate, okay? This, verse 14 is Nehemiah's Braveheart moment, Okay? You guys know that, that scene in Braveheart where all the Scots, they've all lined up and he's out there on his horse riding in front of them and he gets them all excited to go charge the enemy. Okay, that, that's this moment here in verse 14. Nehemiah looks at all the people, including their leaders. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I mean, here's Nehemiah. This, man, I look at Nehemiah as a leader, and whew, man. That, that's why this week, that's part of why we're focusing on God's role in this. Because when I look at Nehemiah, we were talking about this at staff meeting, and uh, someone said, you know, Nehemiah is kind of like Peyton Manning and these really, really good quarterbacks where, you know, they can get sacked. They can have two of these huge guys crush them and they fall on the ground. 
And then they get up the next play and they're just so calm. They're just in the zone. They're, nothing can distract them. And that's how Nehemiah is. As we keep going through the book, we're going to see distraction after distraction. And Nehemiah just, he just has this calm. He just has his eyes on the prize and he's just following God. He's leading God's people. And I look at that and I think, God, that is not me. I am, I am of a, a much weaker disposition than Nehemiah. I mean, I can, I, I get, I get migraine headaches just, just thinking about preaching, you know? I'll, I'll go out between, between services and someone will come up and complain to me about the color of the bulletin and I will barely make it through the next service, you know? I'm not a strong guy like Nehemiah. I'm just not. You know, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. But the, you know what the great point in chapter 4 is? It's not about your strength. It's about God's strength behind the curtain, behind the scenes. He's the unseen hand. He's the power. He's the strength. He's the one who, who holds all things together. And he's, he's holding you together. And, and, and hang in there because he's fighting for you. He's not abandoned you. He knows what's going on in your life, just like he did for Nehemiah and these people. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. Isn't that neat? Just a few words. God doesn't, he doesn't show up on center stage, but God frustrates the enemy's plan. We all return to the wall, each to his own work. So here again, we have God's doing it. We're praying, we're trusting God to do it, but we're still showing up with the mortar and the bricks and the stones and the tools. Verse 16, from that day on, half my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Verse 18, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Okay, so that's just a neat, you could do a whole message on that. Just the need that we have to be able to unite together as God's people, as opposed to just being all spread out. But then this incredible verse, our God will fight for us. Nehemiah just knows. He has this confidence. If you hear that trumpet and you know you got to pull out your weapon, be confident because our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night because now they've got the walls partially done. So they can serve as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me, essentially they stayed prepared for battle, right? Each had his weapon. Each, when he went for water, had his weapon with him. So I hope you're encouraged. You don't have to be perfect for God to be faithful. Let's pull a few principles out of this. Here's our first one. When you are opposed, God is still for you. When you are opposed... God is still for you. We saw this in verses 1 through 3. Start rebuilding God's plan for your life and the enemy will tell you you can't do it. And I know some of you are in here today and through this series, God's been working in your heart and you've decided to reprioritize, to rebuild. 
Maybe in your workplace, there have been some things where you knew you weren't being honest and you decide, hey, I'm going to start, I'm going to start in my business doing things God's way. I'm going to be honest. Well, you might make that choice and then you might be opposed by a boss or a superior who says, hey, where'd my profit margin go? And you say, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest from here on. What if it costs you your job to follow God? Uh, what if, I know we have college students who, when they write a paper, if they mention Christ or Christianity or their own beliefs, even if it's totally within the topic of the paper, uh, th- they have t- certain teachers and professors who will give them an F just for doing that, just for being who they are. There's, there's people who don't get into grad schools because of their beliefs. There's, there's opposition that comes when you really say, I'm, I'm going to put God first in my life. It, it might even be within your marriage that you're sensing, okay, I, my life has not been in line with God's priorities in this area. I'm going to step out. And maybe your spouse isn't there yet. And there's some opposition. And it becomes this tension. Okay, do I, am I really going to follow God? It's normal to think when opposition comes that God has abandoned us. But we, what we see in Nehemiah 4 is actually the opposite. The opposition comes because you've now stepped into the battle. See, when we're busy living for ourselves, building up our own kingdoms, we're kind of on the sidelines of the spiritual battle. And once you say, okay, I'm going to stop building up my kingdom and I'm going to really get my hands dirty building Christ's kingdom, well, now you're in the battle. There's going to be some opposition. So maybe you're here today and, and you've been rebuilding your legacy or your marriage or your relationships or your finances. And I wonder for you, where is your opposition? Where's your opposition? Is it coming from without or is it coming from within? In verses 1 through 3, we saw this opposition from without, Sanballat and Tobiah. Verse 12, we saw this opposition from... This is usually how opposition comes from God's own people, our own teammates. It comes with the best of intentions. Well-intentioned internal opposition. When in verse 12, these teammates say 10 times over, be afraid you're going to (laughs) die, pretty much. Thanks, brother. Thanks for the word of encouragement. Appreciate that. You know, but but we do that sometimes. Maybe, Maybe right now the Holy Spirit's like, hey, remember that situation? You're opposing, you're discouraging someone who's trying to follow me. Ephesians 6.12 tells us our enemy is never other people. Uh, even if it's from without, Sanballat and Tobiah. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. It's, it's spiritual opposition. And, and there's times, unfortunately, when God's own people become part of that, usually unknowingly, right? Remember the, the time in Matthew 16, verse 23, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. In other words, here's Peter. He's obviously a Christian. He obviously loves Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Peter, the words you're saying right now are pretty much Satan's words. He wants to discourage me. He wants to oppose me so that I don't go to the cross. So Peter, get behind me. So I wonder, as you're stepping out to, to, to really rebuild in your life, is there opposition from without? Is there opposition from within? And here's another question for you. Is there a lie that Satan has told you 
about your inadequacy to rebuild. Remember verse 3? Oh, look at that wall they're building. Even if a fox jumps on it, it will fall down. And, and you know God's calling you to rebuild in an area of your life. And, and, and you've put your hand to the work. And, and Satan is going to come to you through whatever channels he can to say, all you're doing, it doesn't even matter. Give up now. That, that is the voice of your enemy. He wants you to quit before you get started. And once you get started, he's going to be on you to quit because he knows the power that God has to do the work in your life. If you just stay faithful to God, he will never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He is fighting for you. Don't listen to those lies from the enemy. It's interesting in, in uh, verses 6 through 9 when God frustrates these enemies you know, we don't see God come down from heaven in a bolt of lightning and a pillar of fire and consume the foes. They all burn up. No, they're all still there, mocking Nehemiah and the people. But what God did behind the scenes is he just kept them from attacking. And a lot of times what we want is opposition comes and we're like, God, send your fire, right? Just like the disciples. God, send the fire on them. And God's way is more behind the curtain. It's more behind the scenes. It's, hey, just stay, stay true to me. I'll take care of you. I'll frustrate the enemy's plans. Might not be as dramatic as you want to see, you know, but you know, wait for the end times. That stuff's coming. But right now, you know, just stay true to him. Let me give you some scriptures if you're opposed as you've been following God. Psalm 56, 4. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortal men do to me? Psalm 56, 4. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So when you're opposed, God is still fighting for you. Next, when you're fatigued, God has not forgotten you. Remember, we see this. The people work with all their might in verse 6, and they're only halfway there. And then one group of them comes and says, there's just too much. It's just too much rubble. We're, we're too fatigued. When you're fatigued, God has not forgotten you. And you know what? Following Christ is, is fatiguing. It's tiring. Scripture calls it a marathon in Hebrews 12. Paul says uh, towards the end of his life, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Why? Because we're in a war. Because this world is not our home. And because our bodies are broken, we're, we're going to get tired as we follow Christ. But, but he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to leave you when you're tired. He's not going to forget about you. I mean, it, it really takes energy to, to be in a home group or to be in a group with men or women and when you're there, to not just show up and be thinking about work or football or whatever else and then leave, but to actually be engaged and thinking about what's going on in their lives and praying for them and, and, and helping. It takes emotional energy. And, and if you're like me, if you go to a home group and you really participate emotionally, yeah, you're going to be filled and strengthened by the others, but you're also going to get home and be kind of tired because you're really 
thinking about the others and you're, you're trying to think, you know, what's God doing in their lives? This world is not our home. Following Christ does not mean a bed of roses here. You, if you're fatigued because you're following Christ, you're on the right track, okay? Now, there's principles like Sabbath rest and boundaries and other things that keep us from burning out. But, but it's okay if you're fatigued. God's with you. Next, when you are afraid or weak, remember the Lord's strength. When you're afraid... Maybe it's your relationship with your kids that you need to rebuild and you think, okay, if I start to really discipline my kids the way that Scripture says, am I going to drive them away? There's going to be fear. When you start to say, okay, God, I'm going to put you first in my finances, there's going to be fear. Because, okay, if we're actually going to tithe and pay the bills, then we got to give up something. And we start to get afraid Fear of what others will think. Fear that what if I step out to follow God and this person who I love doesn't come with me and there starts to become a distance between us. I love this verse, 14b, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. read Matthew 6 the other day where Jesus says no one can serve two masters you're always going to love one and hate the other you can only have one master and so then Jesus says it's either God or mammon money these are Jesus words he said you can't have two masters you got to pick which one is your master you know what masters do when you try to leave them they intimidate you. They try to, they, they make you afraid. I, I remember when I was helping some counselors down in Phoenix put together a book because they work with, with girls who are prostituted as minors. And they asked me as an editor to help them on this book. And, and I remember as I was reading that thing and editing it, learning about uh, these pimps, these slave masters who have these underage girls and the intimidation that goes on psychologically and physically and, and with drugs. And, and these girls think that if they leave, they cannot survive on their own. It is just like Satan. That's what he does. He says, if you leave this master, you're not going to be safe. You can't make it on your own. And when sin has become a master in our life, the sin of greed, the sin of our stuff, the sin of money, the sin of pornography, even the sin of, of, uh, of jealousy or the sin of just always being discontent. When we really get serious about, okay, I'm going to step away from that master, Satan sees you running for the, for the wall. And he's going to yell out some lies to you. He wants to paralyze you with fear. Because if you believed in Christ, there is no wall there. You're free to run away. But he wants you to think, don't run for that wall. You're not going to be safe. You're not going to be protected. You're not going to be fulfilled. And he comes to you with fear. And when fear comes like that, remember the Lord's strength. And don't back down. There's a Johnny Cash song. It says, I'm going to stand my ground. And I won't 
back down. There's times when I just have to sing that as a, as, as a spiritual anthem. You know, I'm weak, but my God is strong. So, so you know, bring it on because I am going to keep rebuilding for his kingdom. I will not back down. Remember the Lord and be strong. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. What an incredible verse for you today. When we're opposed, God's still fighting for us. When we're fatigued, he hasn't forgotten us. When we're afraid, remember him in his strength. And finally, when you are attacked, God will fight for you. When you're attacked. I don't know what kind of attack you might be dealing with. And maybe at this point it's just uh, emotional. Maybe it's actually something where you've lost a job or you have a, a family member who has severed ties with you because you're following Christ. And maybe you left the Jehovah's Witness or some other cult where they just ostracize you and punish you for becoming a Christian. I, I don't know where you're being attacked, but God will fight for you. As we close today, I want, I want to just read some scripture over you. I want to give you some promises from God's word. So if you're going to fall asleep, don't close your eyes, okay? But if you're not going to fall asleep and it would help you to close your eyes, feel free. I'm going to read these truths of God over you. Just let them soak into your soul, okay? That, that God brought you here today to know that he is fighting for you. Just stay true to him. He's not going to leave you. Just, just hang in there, Okay? He will prevail. He might be behind the curtain, but you hang in there, okay? And just take these promises. Let them soak into your soul right now. Joshua 1, nine. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 56.11. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Father, as we go from here today, Lord, I don't know where there's opposition in my brothers' and sisters' lives. I don't know where there's fatigue, just the weariness of following you. I don't know where there's discouragement, where there's fear. But I know the enemy peddles in fear. And Lord, you, you tell us that your perfect love casts out that fear. Lord, I don't know where some in here are attacked today. But in, in each of these situations, in each of our lives, Lord, where we've been slandered, we've been lied about, we've been accused, we've been wronged, we remember you, Lord. You are mighty and you are strong. And, and you may be unseen to us, but you have not forgotten us.
As you're sitting there, I want to read you some words from one of my favorite hymns. Just let these wash over you. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently your cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Father, as we go from here today, we pray that you would still our souls, Lord. We, we get so caught up in us and in the people around us, and we don't see you at work. And like David we sometimes doubt the promises that you made to us. We forget the powerful things that you've done in our lives in the past. And today, Lord, we just, we remember. We reassure our souls that you will never leave us or forsake us. That you will fight for us right up until the end. So Jesus, be our strength, be our light, be our strong tower. We rest in you. We trust in you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.